Well, hey, let's get working together. Uh, grab your copy of the scriptures or your uh, device, and uh, let's turn to Hebrews chapter 1. Very first chapter in Hebrews. We're going to be looking at verses 4 through the end of the chapter. Now, you know, your hope is only as good as the object you hope in. You know, whatever, whatever you have confidence in, it doesn't matter how much confidence you have in it. Here's the reality. It's not your confidence that makes you hold up. It's how really good the thing is that you're hoping in or that you have confidence in, how good it is that it will hold you up. Will it hold me? Is it safe? Will it really do what it promises to do? Now, right now, the big question for some in northern Michigan is the ice. I don't know how many people here are ice fishermen or go out in the ice for whatever other things you may want to do out in the ice. Here's the big question. Is it safe? Is it thick enough? Will it hold me up? Well, the internet is ablaze with pics of people with misplaced trust in the ice. Now, I'm just going to give you a few pics here. Here's one. Someone who made a very uh, bad decision and drove out there with their pickup truck. And, um, and here's another one. Now, I'm not sure what in the world they were thinking. You see the two people in this picture? I've just got to explain this here for a moment. I'm not sure if they were the truck drivers. Maybe they were. <clears throat> what were they thinking? I can just imagine one saying to the other guy, you know what, I've got an idea that'll shave 10 minutes off our drive this morning. Now, I'm telling you, I, I only wish I could have been there that day to call the number on that how's my driving sticker on the back, <laughs> you know, on the back of there. How's my driving? You know, like, um, yeah, hello, 1-800-BIG-TRUCK. Um, do you accept text pictures? Because you're not going to believe this one. I have no idea what happened there, but that was a beauty. Here's another one. Um, now, you've, you need to see the interview on this, because this guy went in. I'm not sure what he was doing with his camper out there. Um, but th they interviewed this guy, and here was, here was his response. It isn't safe yet to go out. Now, I'm sure this guy has really high safety standards. Um, so if he says it isn't safe, I would listen to him. And then you wonder, how do people make decisions like this? What, what type of upbringing did they have? Well, I, I can answer that for you. Um, this is probably um, somewhere in their ancestry. This is not a new problem. This goes quite a ways back for people. Um, you know, this is where the sins of the father are visited to the third and fourth generation. And I'm sure everyone we just saw is somehow related to the people in this picture. Um, you know, your hope is only as good as the thing you put it in. That's just the truth. And some people trust in relationships. Some people trust in money. Some people trust in politics. Some people trust in the stock market. Some people trust in a scratch-off card or in a bottle or in a pill. 
And especially when times get tough, it's like, what is going to get me through this tough time? What's going to get me through to the other side? What will really help me now? What will help my marriage? What will get me to the other side? And they put their hope in something. Oftentimes there is a default setting. And the book of Hebrews wants to de-risk our hope. It really wants to put our hope on solid footing. And in fact, the writer of Hebrews is talking to these individuals. They were believers. Now, they're Jewish believers. And they came out of a Jewish religious background. They had hoped in their ceremonies. They had hoped in all of their sacrifices. They had a whole patriarchal system. And so in all of those things, they were hoping in their old religious system for how things should be, and now they put their faith and trust in Jesus. Their hope was where it should be in Jesus Christ for hope of heaven, for their forgiveness. And the problem was they were going through tough times, and the writer of Hebrews wanted to say, hold on now. Don't lose your confidence in Jesus. Just because you're going through tough times, don't start to think maybe our hope is misfounded. Maybe we should start going back to our old religious system. And the writer says, no, 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 no. It's properly founded in Christ. Don't go back to what it was. And that's why Hebrews was written. So last week we found out where he said, don't go back to hoping that maybe the prophets are superior to Jesus Christ. Today he's going to be talking about the angels. Don't go back to thinking that maybe the angels are superior to Jesus Christ. And why would he target the angels? I want to give you a couple things. This is why he would target the angels, and then we're going to jump into verse 4 and go down through the rest of the chapter together. Why would Jesus target the angels? Or why would the writer target the angels Here's why. Number one, and primarily, I'm not sure if you ever knew this, God used thousands of angels in the giving of the law of Moses at Mount Sinai. Here's a couple verses for you, um, one of which is from Acts 7, 53. And, And just quickly, here's what it says. You who have received the law that was given through angels, but have not obeyed it. And so, they're talking about the receiving of the law of Moses through the angels, which was discussed in Deuteronomy 33. Now, Galatians 3.19 also talks about receiving the law through the angels. And here's what it says. Why then was, it wasn't the lawn. I just, they did receive lawn. But it was the law. Yeah. Want to make sure you're on your toes here this morning. It was added because of transgressions until the seed. Now, that does go with the lawn. (laughs) Boy, we're just full of it this morning, aren't we? To whom the promise referred had come. The law, there we go, was given through angels and entrusted to a mediator. That's Galatians 3. I'm sure some of you are looking up in your Bible. Does it say lawn? Or does it say law? So the Jews said, you know what? The, the angels gave us the law. 
And they revered them in, in very high esteem. I'm going to tell you, they also went through a level of speculation. Here's some things they speculated about the angels. They believed that Enoch, I'm not sure if you've ever heard of Enoch. Enoch, the Bible mentions, never died, but was assumed up into the heavens. He never died. The Jews began to speculate that Enoch became an angel. I'm not sure if you ever heard that. In some of their extra-biblical writings, they talked about that. In the Talmud is one of them, and they talked about the speculation that Enoch became what is called Metatron, or the highest archangel, who we've called Michael. Now, I'm here to tell you that's not accurate, but this is something that they began to speculate and have fanciful ideas about angels. We've had our own speculations. We've wondered how many angels can sit on the... I know. Why have you thought that? That's ridiculous. We've wondered about our own guardian angel. Do we have our own guardian angel? We've thought a lot of different things about angels. They had their own thoughts about angels and began to speculate. And so knowing that he's writing to the Jews, the writer develops an outstanding argument for the superiority of Jesus Christ. And here's the cool thing. Knowing he's writing to the Jews, every claim that he gives is backed up from the Old Testament. He knows who he's talking to. He says, everything I want to give you is from your scriptures, the Old Testament, that's going to show Jesus is better than the angels. Let's just jump right in. Here we go. The main point, Jesus is superior to the angels. Do you have your uh, study guide on the back of your East Bay Weekly? Boom. Here's the evidence. Number one, verse four and five. Jesus... Only Jesus is the Son of God. As good as the angels are, and he never says anything bad about the angels, he just says, you know what? As nice as the angels are, Jesus is so much greater. Only Jesus is the Son of God. So verses 4 and 5. So he, Jesus, became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, and here's a quote from Psalm 2, verse 7, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Or again, I will be his father, and he will be my son. Only Jesus is the son of God. And here's the dramatic claim. Now, I do understand, and we can talk about this maybe in a future study about angels. The angels do have a title called the sons of God. We can talk about that later. It is not to be misunderstood with the Son of God. The Son of God is a title specifically 
to the second person of the Trinity. God the Son, Jesus Christ. So just to set the record straight, angels are not in the Trinity. Angels are not God. Angels are not the Son of God. No angel will ever receive the highest recognition. No angel will ever be granted the full inheritance of God. There is no other name under heaven by which one will be saved except Jesus. The only name that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess at the end is Jesus Christ. Only Jesus is the Son of God. And if we had people here that were alive, they would say something like amen or something like that. Yeah, I know. You're still stuck on the lawn thing, aren't you? You haven't seen your lawn for two months, people. Here's number two. Only Jesus is the firstborn who receives worship. Here's another phrase. This may be a little tricky for you. Look at verse 6. I'm not sure how your translation reads in this. It says, and again, when God brings his firstborn. Does your translation read the same way as mine there with firstborn? You see that? And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Now, I don't want you to be tripped up with that. The understanding of this word firstborn, the word actually is prototokos, and it is not a birth order word. It technically is a military order word. And the reason why they use it for a birth order is because in Bible days, the firstborn would also be the first ranking in the family. How many here are firstborns? Yeah, quite a few. How many here are the babies? God bless the babies. I love the babies. I'm a baby. Yeah, so the firstborns, yeah, forget you. <laughs> Anyways, the firstborn. In the Bible days, they would receive the greatest inheritance. They would be the one to receive the family blessing. They would be the highest ranking in the family. And so that's why this was, this special military term was used oftentimes even in a family setting. But do know that here, this term prototokos is related, it is a military term. It's not really talking about birth order. The text, as the writer is saying, is Jesus is the highest ranking of all. He is the one who is over everyone. And with that in mind, note in verse 6, that is the one, let all God's angels worship him. No wonder all of the angels are worshiping. So you know the text is saying it. Don't think that we should be worshiping angels. We should be worshiping the one the angels are worshiping. 
And that's Jesus Christ. Here's a third thing. Jesus was served by the angels. That's verse 7. And speaking of the angels, he says, once again, more Old Testament. The writer just fillets them with Old Testament verses, all supporting the superiority of Christ. He says, he makes his angels spirits and his servants flames of fire. So his angels were servants. And we saw this in the ministry of Jesus. When Jesus was fasting in the desert, when he was praying on the Mount of Olives in anguish, angels of the Lord came and ministered strength to him. So Jesus didn't serve the angels. The angels served Jesus. Here's number four, and I need to keep moving. Jesus is God enthroned and anointed as king. Verses 8 and 9. Look at verses 8 and 9 here. It says, but about the Son, he says, your throne, O God. Now note, this is about the Son. Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. If there's ever a verse that just explodes with an understanding about the deity of Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ is God. This is it. But about the Son, he says, your throne, O God. Jesus Christ, the Son, is God on the throne, and his throne will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness, you have hated wickedness, therefore God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. Jesus is God enthroned and he is the one anointed as king. His reality as son being God and as son being king there's none higher. He is the one enthroned above all. And then number five, Jesus is the eternal creator. Verses 10 through 12 describe this reality of Jesus Christ. He also says, verses, verses 10 through 12, In the beginning, Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth. And the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will roll them up like a robe. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you remain the same, and your years will never end. And so here's this lengthy quote from Psalm 102, 25 to 27. And it notes that Jesus, the Son, the Son is the Lord of all creation Everything created through him, the foundations of the earth, the heavens and everything that's there, even though they perish, everything came through his hands. He will 
extend beyond them because he's the eternal one. And then verse six, or, or number six, Jesus is supreme. Angels are servants, verses 13 and 14. Jesus is supreme, notice verse 13. To which of the angels did God ever say, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? And I'm gonna tell you the answer to that. No angel did God ever say that to. Jesus is supreme. All of his enemies are at his footstool. He's at the right hand of God. He's in the position of complete rule. But then notice the position of angels, verse 14, and are not all angels ministering spirits sent to those who will inherit eternal life? Here's the beauty of angels. So what are they? They are servants. They're ministering spirits. They are sent to serve those who will inherit eternal life. So guess what? Angels are sent to minister with a gospel-advancing purpose. They're sent to minister to people who will come to know Jesus. They were sent to minister to you and to me. Now, the Bible talks about you and I might actually encounter angels and not even know it. You know that? Could be one in this room. I don't know, look to your left and right. Okay, you've ruled that out now, haven't you? <laughs> yeah, no, they ain't no angel, I'm telling you that. I live with them, I can tell you that one. I'll I, I tell you a story. Um, my brother-in-law was in college um, at Liberty University. This is, it's gotta be 30 years ago. And he and his roommate, um, they were both um, in ministry majors or looking to be pastors, and, and they, were, they were actually kind of sloughing off in their, in their life with Jesus. And, and they went, um, they were getting kind of complacent in their faith. And they went into, into town. They decided to go to Burger King for lunch. They went to Burger King, and they went in there. They had their lunch, and they came out, and they went to their car, and um, my brother-in-law went in there, and he went to start his car, and he turned the key, and there was nothing. There was zero. He turned the key, nothing. And so he gets out, and he opens up the hood, you know, like everyone does, and he looks in there. He has no idea what he's looking at, but he's looking in there. And he tells his guy, you know, his buddy in the car, turn the key. And turning it, and there's nothing. You know, it's just moving things around. Nothing. And, and this goes on for like five, ten minutes, and they can't figure anything out. Nothing's happening. And this older gentleman comes out. And um, he comes by and says, car won't start, huh? And, of course, my brother-in-law has the spiritual gift of sarcasm. And um, wanted to say, you know, ooh, <laughs> brilliant one, buddy, you know. And, but he didn't say anything, and uh, he's like, no, you know, and kind of like, you know, get away, man. And they're still trying stuff, and, and the guy's like, um, 
I'll start your car for you. And it's like, nah, that's all right. And, and they're still looking at stuff. And he's like, I'll start your car for you. Give me the keys. So they hand him the keys. And he gets in the car and he sits down. And he turns it and it doesn't do anything. And, and they kind of snicker a little bit. And he looks at him and he says, you guys don't think I can start your car. So they step back. They turn the key. Vroom! Started right up. And they looked at each other, and this guy gets out of the car. I'm serious. This guy gets out of the car, and he looks at my brother-in-law, and he goes, Barry, and that's really his name. He goes, Barry, I'm here to tell you, enough sloughing off in your spiritual life. And my brother-in-law, like in the Burger King parking lot, his jaw just went kapoof. And they shut the hood of the car, and they get in the car, and the parking lot's empty, and they turn around, and there was no one there. And I'm sure some of you folks are thinking today, like, we're not going to Culver's, we're going to Burger King for lunch today. <laughs> we are going to Burger King, folks. It is chicken fries today, chicken fries. Now, that's not a normal experience, you know. And some people are thinking, oh, I just wish I had that. Oh, I wish I had an angel start my car. That would, oh. But let me just tell you, the text is actually saying, you don't need that. We have something better than an angel starting your car. Before we get all mystical and excited about angels, we need to be excited that the one who created the angels is actively involved in our lives every day, and it's Jesus Christ. Think about the one who created them, created you just the way you are and loves you so much that he went to the cross to die for your sin and mine so that you can have life eternal And I don't think when we get to heaven, anyone's going to be saying, take me to an angel. I want to see an angel. I've been waiting to see an angel. People are going to be saying, man, I want to see Jesus. Take me to Jesus. And for good reason. So the writer of Hebrews just dismantles this whole thing of people are saying, I, I want to hope. I want to hope in something else other than Jesus. He's saying, don't go back to that, people. 
Don't lose confidence in Jesus. He is our hope. He is what we put our reliance in. And I'm going to tell you, let's just be plain. Let's just open it right up. We put our confidence in other things. It's our natural gravitation. There are some top things we sometimes put above Jesus. Naturally, just like that thin ice that we can go out on, we think, this is going to hold me. Sometimes we trust in our possessions. I feel security from having things. If I own enough, I feel secure. And you know what? Like the thin ice, boom, and it's gone. And then what happens? Some people say relationships. I just need to be in a relationship. And I fudge on the type of relationship or how it's styled. I know the type that God wants me to have, but I'll fudge on the whole thing as long as I have one. And then boom, here we are. The ice breaks and I'm in cold water with this horrid relationship. Or money, if I have enough money, or probably the thing that we often put above Jesus in trusting or relying in is self. Really. I trust my own instincts. I trust my heart. I can figure out my own solution. I can set my own agenda. I'll figure my own way out through this whole thing. And although there's scripture, although there's God saying, here's how you do it, we'll say, you know what? I'll kind of work my way through it and figure it all out on my own. That's how we trust another thing. And, and we're going out on thin ice. We go out on thin ice. And, and the writer of Hebrews says, no, 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 no. Trust in Jesus. Put your reliance in him. Everything else. So let's flip the script. Instead of worshiping angels, how about we do what they do? I think they got it right. Because in verse 6, guess what they did? They worshiped Jesus. So let's do what they do. Let's worship him. Let's worship him for who he is. Let's worship him for the reality that he gave his life for us. There's no greater act of worship beyond giving him your singing voice, beyond giving him of your resources or your time. The best act of worship is for you to give him your life. For you to believe and rely in the reality that he died on the cross to bear the penalty for your sin and mine so we can be forgiven before God because our sin had to be punished. And he was punished for you. He was punished for me. And our best act of worship is to say, Jesus, I believe that. 
I believe you died for me. And the Bible says that whosoever believeth in him, would you say it with me? Whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have ever. That's the best act of worship. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you died for me. I give you my life. I worship you. Not just worship you at church, but I worship you Monday through Saturday. You have the best singing going on in your car and in the shower. And you just think about them all day long and, and you just don't come here to, oh, I need to be fed, that's why I go to church. No, you can snack and eat all week long. Love it. Angels had it right where they served God. And they serve those who will inherit eternal life. They have a gospel-advancing passion. They had it right. And I think we do well to do the same. We worship Jesus. We give our lives to him. We serve God and we serve each other and look for those who will inherit eternal life, not being self-serving. But there's no better feeling than this type of thing that we've done today. And we can do that personally. And then number three, we let him rule the angels had it right. They let him rule. No angels are saying, you know what, God, I'm going to carve my own way. They let him rule. It's his throne. He's king. And we do our best when we step forward and say, you know what? It's your rules, God. I'm not going to make up my own. I'm going to be the husband that you want me to be according to your word. I'm going to be the wife you want me to be. I'm going to be the child you want me to be. The employee you want me to be. The church member you want me to be. It's your rules, God. The woman, the man, you want me to be. And Jesus said, you know, if anyone wants to be my disciple, he must first deny himself. Your rules, not mine. That's flipping the script. Jesus first, his sacrifice first, worshiping him first, serving him first, obeying him first. No one's greater than Jesus. There's no one better than Jesus. There's no one more that we could put our confidence in than Jesus. I wouldn't walk out on any other ice, folks, and Jesus. Would you stand with me? I don't know what your prayer is today. You need to have one. You need to have one. Because everyone in this room needs to have their confidence 
in him, in anything else, it's going to flop. Have your prayer. And maybe it's belief in the cross, in his death for you. Maybe today you're going to give your life for the first time to him. That needs to happen. Or maybe today your marriage is hurting, you're personally hurting. Something's going on in your life. I'm, I've been calling my own shots that needs to change. Whatever your prayer is, do it right now. In your heart, in your head, would you talk and do business with God in putting your confidence in Him? I'll give you a moment. Talk to Him right now. Father, forgive us. Forgive us, Lord, for walking out on thin ice, for putting trust in things that will never hold us up, putting our confidence in flimsy, breakable, unreliable, God, may our hope, may our confidence come back and rest solidly where it belongs in Jesus Christ. There's no one greater. There's no one higher. He is all of it. He's our all. He's everything. And we all say together, amen, amen.